I'm filmmaker Justin Simeon, and welcome to another episode of Don't At Me, the podcast where we go beyond the knee-jerk reaction with emerging culture makers. In this episode, I talk to filmmaker Sam Bailey, creator of the web series Brown Girls, as well as an amazing writer-director who happens to be writing and directing on this new season upcoming of Dear White People. Yeah, when you don't have to explain your existence and yourself to people, then you get to, you know, dig into art that's different than what... I think Hollywood is patting his, you know, his stuff on the back for it. I talked to Sam about being excommunicated from Chicago theater, turning $2,500 into an award-winning web series, and transitioning from independent to television directing as a black woman. You do not want to miss this. Stay tuned. Welcome, Culture Machines. We've got another episode of Don't At Me For You. I'm your host, Justin Simeon, here with... Um, one of my favorite people and uh, a coworker, actually, oh. <laughs> Sam Bailey. So, so Sam um, worked on Dear White People uh, as one of the series directors in season three, and couldn't believe my luck that she actually wanted to join uh, as a writing producer. Uh, the staff of the fourth season of Dear White People, uh, and so she will be writing. She has written and will also be directing. Uh, in this fourth season. Um, she is a filmmaker to watch. If you ain't on yet, get on the train. And one of my favorite people to talk to. So thank you for coming on, Sam. I'm so happy to talk to you. I um, love talking to you. Yeah. I love talking to you in general, but the idea of doing it like for other people to listen is kind of exciting. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that time that we were supposed to be the assassins and that oh my god okay so if you're first of all okay so okay where do i start um if you don't know what mafia is like just google just pause this and google it real quick but basically like we basically so so the characters in dear white people play mafia in the show Mm -hmm. um in the episode you directed actually in season three and we've been playing it in the writer's room uh, before the coronavirus uh, and before racism began in, on the end of May. And um, we were, Sam and I both were independently picked as the assassins. Uh, and frankly, it would have been a bloodbath, okay? <laughs> right? Like the two of our shady asses, it would have been over. But then something... <laughs> something happened. Yeah, something happened and we had to restart the game and we found out we were both the killer and it was like, what? And it never happened again. It was someone was like late and wanted to join the game. And so we had mm-hmm. to. Cool. And I was just like, wow, that that maybe maybe we were saving other people. I don't know. But it, it I think it was God. I think God was like, this is this is entirely too much black shade coming together. <laughs> With no remorse. <laughs> With no remorse. And it's like, we can't do this to these innocent people. And, you know, we have to restart it. And honestly, I I, I, bl- I don't blame God for that choice. I don't either. I don't either. Though I wish, I wish we'd be back in the room so that we can actually play again properly. Ugh. I so agree. And for everyone listening, you know, we're recording this during Corona summer. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure when it'll air. But yeah. I bet the pandemic will still be raging because yeah, maybe no one's wearing their mask. What's that? Yeah. Corona fall. 
Corona I'm expecting I'm expecting a Corona fall, I have to say. Um, but before we get going, we have this um, segment we've been doing at the start of the podcast where someone from the Culture Machine community, um, and you can follow Culture Machine on Facebook and on Instagram. That's the name of my production company. Um, you know, we're just trying to f- provide access for folks who traditionally don't have it. Um, you know, to the to folks in the industry to figure out how to how to get their break going. And um, uh, through one of those channels, you can ask a question of me and my guests. And here's the one that was chosen today. Brendan's going to read it to us. Yes. So today's question comes from Ayana Costley. Um, she says, hey, uh, Justin, in your opinion slash personal experience, should writers spend time writing spec scripts for existing shows or should writers prioritize and focus on writing original pilots? I took a TV writing class before graduating in 2019, but I've seen a few people on Twitter say that specs are dead. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, that's a good question. And Sam, feel free to jump in too. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit non-traditional because I didn't sort of come up in the traditional television way. Like I didn't start as a writer's assistant and then become a staff writer. And then I didn't, I didn't come up to that system. You know, I, I sort of slid through that door when, you know, what happens when there's a new version of a thing and suddenly we were doing TV on the internet, it's called Netflix. Um, and that's Mm -hmm. when like black people can like get in. And uh, <laughs> I got in that way. So I, I, I missed whatever the real steps are. And I, and I think that like my advice is that there's no single piece of advice about mm-hmm. writing or film or TV that is right all of the time. Not a single piece. I just read a spec script uh, for Insecure that really blew me away. Someone on our staff actually, not on our staff, um, our writer's PA wrote. I want to read it. I just want to read it. Oh my God, friendship. it's so good. It's so good. And but but I was I'll have to say that like that was probably the first time I actually read a spec script in a long time. I mean, when I was staffing for my show, obviously you, no one could write a spec script for dear white people. There wasn't anything like it on TV and it didn't exist. And so, you know, I'm reading people's original works uh for that original staffing period in this last season when we were adding some folks to the staff. Um you know, it really made sense for me to read original work because I'm I'm not really looking for someone to sort of plug into the formula of dear white people. I'm looking for people who who you know they have shade as their love language as, as it is mine, and uh, they're using humor to illuminate something, or you know they th- their work is about uh, expanding the human condition and insight into a. You know, I'm looking for these. I'm looking for people who are going to bring themselves really to to the work, and so. Um, I have to say in my experience, original pilots are kind of the thing that I'm, I'm seeing, you know, sent around a lot more often than spec scripts. But if you're trying to write on a show that's an institution that's been around for a while, I, I, I'm sure that there are cases in which um, a spec script is a good idea. I don't know. What do you think, Sam? I, I'm very similar to you. I didn't come on um, to come up through the TV, uh, the traditional TV kind of hierarchy. Um, obviously, because you hired me on my first. Like, yeah. um, oh my god! But my pleasure. I always want to say, like, write your own stuff uh, if you feel like you must. Right? Like, I feel right. like if if you kind of feel like you have to get something out, I always feel like that work is the more exciting work than like the work you think people want from you um but again i come from like an indie make your own shit background it's a it's definitely a mix but you i think a lot of times especially for like 
people who are marginalized, women, mm-hmm. gays, black people, we're, we're, we kind of overdo the the part where we do things based on other people's expectations to be allowed yeah. in. And, and we give that kind of advice, like a lot more energy than we give, like our internal sense of knowing what to do next. And I think that's almost always a mistake. Yeah, I think it's so important that like, uh, that you like figure out kind of what you want to do and then use that to kind of guide you, right? Like I think yeah. that my advice for navigating this industry while I'm still like very much learning that is completely different than like, I think, I mean, even yours is you came from the feature side, the indie feature side. So I think that's like, it, 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 I'm learning how different anyone's like specific path can be. But in terms of like writing anything on spec, you're going to either write it for a show or write your own thing. Like I think right now, like write whatever gives you joy. Mm. What's giving you joy right now, Sam? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard every one of the ancestors. <laughs> every single one of them in that side. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, well. Uh, <laughs> 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 what is giving me joy right now? I mean, really, uh, what is giving me joy is connecting with um like my artistic community my like homies that are that are artists and figuring out mm. kind of just like talking about art um what's giving me joy anytime i don't have to engage with the industry right now has been really joyful um That's so, <laughs> the, the industry of dreams <laughs> right That's i'm trying to learn again actually um <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. I know that that sounds, I mean, I'm, and I'm just now getting there, which is actually fun to kind of get that, to light that spark again. But for a really long time, I was just trying to figure out how to survive um, this kind of insane uh, minefield. Well, that's, that's interesting. And obviously, like, you know, we all got stuff going on that we can't be explicit about, or maybe we can be, it's totally up to you. But um mm-hmm. And I and I and I want to introduce listeners to your story as well, like where you came from, how you got here, all that. But again, since racism has begun recently, um, uh, and and white people are, yeah, it just started a couple months ago, and and white people are suddenly, um, you know, interested in the topic. Uh, I I don't know. I found it to be it's both like exciting and exhausting because it's like, oh my God, thank you so much for coming to the seminar. But I've been Mm -hmm. giving it for like 37 years and now I'm going to turn back to chapter one and start again. I think that like, I I think people on the outside kind of think that like within Hollywood, you know, this, this liberal bastion of dreams, this reckoning is, is just sweeping the town and all black people are just finally getting opportunities that they never got before. Um, what is, what's been, you know, your general experience of, of being a Hollywood person right now? I mean, my, my general experience is that, you know, I find it really sometimes really difficult to exist in this Hollywood space when, when the world in my, and specifically like my community feels like it's in turmoil and it's attacked. Um, yeah. And 
And because I just got here, you know, I'm not that far removed from being in Chicago and like shutting down Lakeshore Drive when Philando Castro got killed. Like that was, that's mm. still very me. Um, but now I live in Hollywood where like these people don't have to engage with it if they don't want to. Um, mm. And that's been really difficult. Like I almost feel like it's like, it's, I almost feel like I'm straddling two different worlds. Um in here because in terms of like my pitching um and even you know the when we finished up writing in dear white people like that didn't change that all kind of stayed the same nothing um but like i do feel like a, a part of me is like playing hey like let's wake up folks let's wake up mm-hmm. <laughs> like i feel like mm-hmm. that is kind of my um my day-to-day interactions with with kind of like the suits in hollywood what do you think they need to understand that they don't get right now? Because I, you know, I think a lot of, you know, when the George Floyd um, murder happened, and I think for Black people it was one of many, 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 many sort of nationalized murders of Black people. Um, I felt really helpless. And then I felt like our show was speaking to people in that moment. And But I still mm-hmm. was like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I found that I had so much to do in my backyard that like before I could really hit the streets and join the movements and be, you know, a kind of public national leader in some respect, mm-hmm. I had a lot of stuff in my, on my home turf that needed looking at. Um, I think Hollywood people are really good at giving you aversion, honey, and, and like giving you the fantasy of who they are. But the reality is often difficult. What is it that you think is still the disconnect in, in Hollywood? I mean, I I have to b- believe to a certain extent that it's like there's so much money in Hollywood that the disconnect mm. is that you're not connected to actual people. Right. <laughs> like the disconnect is that you're actually like they're not engaging with like the actual humans that exist in this world outside of Hollywood. Like it's really mm. difficult to be in a room or be on set when the entire conversation is about who did what in the Hollywood Reporter when there's like other things existing out in the world. And that's not to say like, there's so much shit going in the world on in the world that like, I don't want to be bogged down by that, but it's very difficult to be in the business of storytelling and also mm. be in like the business of storytelling. Right. And right. I think it's constantly, I'm constantly figuring out um, what it like, kind of what's my line. What's my, uh, I don't know, like, where am I ready to expand? Where am I not ready to expand? Um, Cause I've already always kind of operated in this, in this town as an outsider, even like in the way of, of, of kind of getting in was by like, not because people opened doors for me whatsoever. It's because they couldn't like turn a blind eye to what was going on um, mm-hmm. with girls and, and stuff. So for me, it's, it's really, it's been really difficult kind of trying to find the balance of that. And I think what I'm learning is that like the balance is just never going to be super easy. Like <laughs> you're just going to, there are going to be days that are, and days that are, you want to burn everything down. Um, but like, until I can get over the fact that I do want to make shit that people see and, um, and reach like uh, a very international audience, then, you know, a part of that is like, I, I have to play, I have to figure out where I fit in here.
talk to me about growing up in Chicago, what that felt like for you and, and how you got into this weird ass business <laughs> from there. Well, yeah. I mean, so I'm, you know, born and raised in Chicago. Family's been born and raised in, uh, you know, have been in Chicago for such a long time. I grew up in Logan Square, which is now a very different neighborhood than it was um, when I grew up there, it's very uh, gentrified, gentrified, as they say. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, but what Chicago really always had was kind of like this blue collar approach to the arts. Like the theater is very, um, it's huge in, in, in Chicago, but they're like these little black box spaces. You can go down a whole street, you know, on the north side, and there's all these little theaters and ensembles where people take this very, very, very seriously, even though you're maybe only getting paid like $100 for a couple months of work, you know? Mm. Um, wow. So That's really me, special. Yeah, it is really special, but it also felt like, like it wasn't like you were doing it to get to Broadway. It kind of felt like, mm. you know, the work that we're doing here is kind of, it's supposed to be like the real shit. It's supposed to be <laughs> like, uh, you know, everything yeah. type of stuff. Um, it's the step. It's like the Steppenwolf's legacy is there, um, mm-hmm. and I love that. Especially as like a, a little black girl in Logan Square who like really wanted. I just like wanted to get out of Chicago so bad. I was really in love mm. with theater. Really in love with acting, um, and I felt like everything was like super was like too small <laughs> at that moment. Growing mm. um, mm. up for me, I think, and so I always knew I wanted to act and. Um, my senior year of, or yeah, my, the beginning of my freshman year of college, my mom passed away and that kind of like, oddly enough, unleashed me not having like anybody to one, raise me to tell me what I can or cannot do. And it just kind of like, I, was, I always say like, oh, I felt like I was like raised by beast after, <laughs> after I was 18. <laughs> figuring it out you know so the people around me i curated the space of 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 a lot of other artists a lot of black and brown and queer film i mean the room looked where my group of people looks very similar to the room of dear white people um Mm -hmm. you've curated a space where you don't have to explain your existence then the art that you get to make is a little different than the art that we're making out in hollywood Woo! Can you say that again? Lord Jesus, just say it again so I can just make sure it marinates into my bone marrow. Yeah, when you don't have to explain your existence and yourself to people, then you get to, you know, dig into art that's different than what I think Hollywood is patting its, you know, its stuff on the back for right now. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But don't you feel like that? Like, in a way, you have to spend, I mean... You know, in a way, dear white people, well, dear white people, it's satirical. But do you feel like sometimes you can't even get to constantly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. I mean, even um, even like when it's in the good times. You know, uh, I had a lovely like podcast interview today, but of course we have to talk about the Emmys and we have to talk about. Um, you know, how does it feel doing a show like Dear White People at a time like this that, that is like overlooked by the TV Academy constantly. And it's like, you know, I wish I didn't have to think about that. I wish I didn't care about that. I wish I um, those things weren't like materially important in my life. Like I wish those things didn't affect me, but they do. And trying to find validation for the work is a full time job. And 
I feel like black people and women and gay people in any marginalized community, we have to do like double time, overtime, um, just to like get in the door to do the work. Like not the work itself is already hard, but just to like get to that spot um, is is harder than it should be. Yeah. And it's, and what's crazy is that I feel like asking for that, asking to like be in environments where you don't have to prove your humanity is like a wild uh, concept to a lot of, uh, especially like the studio execs out here, you know, or the heads, yeah. the, the gatekeepers of anyway. Like, oh, like not only do I want the job, I also want a, a, um, a space that reflects the world that we like live in, so that I mm-hmm. don't have to like. Like often, I, I t- did a lot of TV directing. I did a lot of TV directing last year. And by the time I was done with that, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to actively get excited about putting myself in a space where I have to be around um, like a really homogenous crew where it, it is unsafe for you to do your thing, you know? And mm-hmm. I, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, those are one of my boundaries now. It's like, who, who's the crew? No one asked that question. But like as yeah. a young black woman, I have to ask that question because I have to be with them on set for 13, 14 right. hours a day. You know? I have to interact it, with those people. And, and it does matter. I mean, I remember the first season of Dear White People, there were certain people on the crew who were frankly rubbed very much the wrong way by the title, by the fact that we would even dare to make episodes questioning the, legitimate, the legitimacy of the police. Um, it, it can become uh, like oddly hostile just really just oh, showing yeah. up to do the, the base level work. Like, what do you think might surprise listeners who maybe have an, a vision of what Hollywood is? Maybe even some, you know, black women who are listening to this show who are dreaming of being where you're at. Um, what are the things that makes it so unsafe and makes it so difficult to do our job sometimes? Uh, I think that there's a lack of accountability in Hollywood. Like there's no true hierarchy as to like, who do you talk to when things get weird? <laughs> like <laughs> no, no one will tell you. And if they do tell you, it's like 10 weeks down the line of you being on a project. You're like, oh, that would have been helpful, you know, when I was being assaulted or something. But like, mm. <laughs> or having a deal mm. with something. You know, I, I feel like that there is a lot, I've had to beg for a clear communication line before. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah to a place where it's not and it's not so that you have to like go tell somebody like you want to tattle on people but it's just so that you know what sy- what systems are in place for me to protect myself right and there's right because it kind of feels like no man's land out there and while they're being like patting themselves on the back for hiring more women or hiring more people of color um that's all well and done. That's all well and good. But like, if I have to come on set and there is no one there to advocate for me and I'm supposed to like run that set and direct that set, I, I just don't know. You're not setting me up to win. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's also like so many invalidating, I think, experiences. I mean, with any director, no matter where you're coming from, you're, it's your first day on set. It's your first day with a new crew. I mean, the first thing you have to do is to establish your um, role and and sort of let people know that who's in charge. And there's so many ways in which that is undermined if you're black or queer or a woman or if you just don't look like what 
that crew who you may be meeting for the first time expects. And you can feel it. You can feel it when someone is saying yes, ma'am, to you in a way where the subtext is really fuck you. You can feel that. And it it impacts the work. Um, or then just, I mean, I wish it was that shady. I mean, I've had dudes be like, I'll explain a shot during like a tech scout. You know, I've had ADs be like, oh, I guess she's not just a pretty face to the entire crew uh, after I've, you know, I wish it was so kind of not blatant, but it is pretty. Right, right, right. <laughs> it is pretty blatant. And, and, and every time that I, the times that I've been pushed so much to like actually pull that person aside and be like, what the fuck? They're always like, oh, yeah, you know what? I had a feeling I, I maybe shouldn't have said that. <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. or like, oh, it's either like that, like they knew they should have done it and they did it anyway, like they just couldn't help themselves, or they have no idea what you're talking about, you know. And that can make yeah. you, I think, to make you feel crazy. <laughs> do you do you do you find that often that you're made to feel crazy? Yes. In this job, that was a quick I think guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a quick. I mean, I, yeah, I think that to me, sometimes the some of the behavior feels like the only reason why they're doing this must be to make me feel crazy. But I'm sure it's not that. I'm sure it's not like that's actually not their goal. But there's, you know, they they're so used to being in a certain type of um, into working a certain way that it's really hard to push them to think outside of that box. I don't think that right. it's possible just for me, even when I've won those fights, it's cost me something. Absolutely. It's the winning of it is actually the kind of the worst part because like when you have to fight like tooth and nail for like, you know, basic services, like when you have to fight tooth and nail to get like plumbing in your house or to get a telephone installed, you can't, you don't throw a ticker tape parade ticker tape parade when you can flush your toilet you know it's just like okay now i can get on to life but when when black people i feel like when we and we're often in spaces where we have to demand something and we demand that something and we fight for it and we march for it and we write open letters for it and we leverage you know collectives for it and the whole thing and you finally get the thing it's like you're expected to rejoice or something but it's like i just got to work now (laughs) <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I've just been able to sit down at my desk now. I, I'm not it, rejoicing. I haven't even started yeah. my job yet. Exactly. Yeah. That's you know. Oh, I feel like that's so on point, and I don't think I ever felt that in my you know independent stuff until I moved out here. I was like, wow, I'm so exhausted. It's like the exhaustion is like in your bone because <laughs> you're exhausted yeah. doing job. <laughs> in and of itself right like be having to answer as many questions as you do and be a lot of things for a lot of people um that's tiring for whoever is going to do it but then on top of that navigating that and like having those fights and you know you get to a point where like i get why some people don't fight i get why people accept some of the bullshit you know Mm. it is very it's draining Now let's let's go back, you know, a little bit further in time before you got here uh, again, um, and talk to me about Second City because uh, you were a part of that in Chicago. I was, but like, oh yeah, I was in Second City. So I did. <laughs> I was in theater for. I mean, for, 
you know, for most of my life. Um, and I don't know if this was before or after, but it or may have been around the, t- the same time. I kind of been told that I wouldn't like work in the city again because I, I left this play that asked me to twerk in a slave costume. And I was like, I think that's my line. Um, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> and therefore I was told I would never work in this town again. <laughs> Truly. Uh, and so I went to second city where <laughs> a lot of people go to. And I was like, Oh, can I like, I got into this program and they were like, Oh, we should get black people into second city. Cause it's very, white and so it was the first uh uh year they were doing this this uh, bob curry fellowship and it was me and uh, like all the negroes in chicago that were doing comedy at that time like <laughs> got into this program and then they realized we were really dope it was a great time because i met like Dwayne uh Dwayne perkins and asia bullock some really great comedy writers that are now out here um chris red like but we did. I was like in and out pretty much. I did the program. I did one show, and then I was like, I gotta, I gotta bounce. <laughs> Sam, Sam marches to her own beat. People, <laughs> I just, I, I really don't like being told what I can't do. You know, so mm. like, and theater is such. I, I think of it a lot like ballet. So not, not. I have learned a lot. Um, and been really empowered to create my own work as a like a younger teenager. But once I did it in college, it was a lot more of a classical institution. So by the time I got out of that, I wasn't really looking for other institutions to get into. Right. And yet here, I am. And yet here we are <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> have Have you left Have you left acting behind for good? Uh, I don't think so. I don't want to say that. I think like. You know, there are times that I, whether we were doing like table reads or something like that, I was like, oh, I get excited. I miss like that, that world. Um, Mm. But I think for me, you know, I think if you're a black woman and you can write and direct and you're interested in telling black female stories, then you should do that. Because I think we need black women like creating characters for black women. Right, right. Speaking of which. Possibility for me. Right. Well, speaking of, of black women who create black characters for black women or black female characters for black women, you have done so and have been able to accomplish something that, honey, eludes me, which what? is get nominated for an Emmy. <laughs> 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 which, uh, which, you, which you did for um, your amazing web series, uh, Brown Girls. Uh, in 2017, talk to us about what that was, um, what happened, and and how it went for you. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, I really have to say, like, I started being a filmmaker with "You're So Talented," so this is a very mm. new for me. I wasn't even really looking at TV or mainstream like film as any place where I would exist. I didn't know women directed. Like none of that like was even in part of my like even though I loved actors, I really was like on the stage. Like I loved stage work, mm. um, and also I feel like when you come up in that world, you start you kind of look down on film acting, which was a mm-hmm. young thing. I was like, oh, I don't like, care about that stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, it like takes over my world, but back then it, it didn't. When we made Brown Girls, it was once again just making you know work for our community that spoke to our people. And I remember Fati, who wrote uh, the web series, 
she, I remember like the trailer was done. I put the trailer together. Jason and I fucked two days ago, but he didn't take me out before, so there's that. It's probably gonna make me suck his dick or something. And like right after his show is the worst time because like his pants are so tight. And so he takes them off and it just like wafted in and I'm like already gagging. And she was like, oh, if anybody like writes for anything and wants to write about brown girls, like hit us up. And mm. one, two people did. And then it was just like, it just kind of spiraled out of control. Like the trailer dropped and we were doing, I swear to God, I've never done as much press in my life than I did for brown wow. girls. Like, we flew to New York, we were on Fox News about it, we'd done W Magazine, we had done, like, it was this crazy kind of, everyone was kind of listening, and I think it was, you know, it was the timing of it as well. Um, I think people were looking for something like that to go to. But I also think because of that, because we had so much press, because we did, we were outsiders, we didn't have reps at that time, um, you know, it's, I think getting the nomination made that even more crazy, you know, because it's hard to get nominated for an Emmy because it's not, it, yes, doesn't, it matter, like, doesn't matter who the people, like if the people love it, it doesn't even really matter because there's these gatekeepers and they have to know what your show is. So most of the time when like for us, a lot of those, especially in those short form, um, like content uh, categories, they're just shows that are like based off of other shows that exist. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, yeah. series Better Call Saul, what's the, what, what's the, t- you know, those are the shows. That, so they already know, they have brand recognition in that way. Right. So for us to kind of get through and like make enough noise that we got a fucking nominee, it was pretty, I, I remember feeling like this is insane. And me and Fat, like Fatih's an orphan. I don't have um, my mother and I'm not close to my father. Like I just remember when the nominee nomination came out, we just like cried and like held each other. Wow. And you and you did it for yourself, which I think is so beautiful because so many times, you know, when people ask me for advice and frankly, when I was asking for advice, you know, when I was trying to make it, it was all about how to get past the gatekeepers, all about how to get representation. How do I get my pilot this and how do I get this staff? And you guys just made something and you shot past all of those steps. And I feel like I feel like what's so great about Brian, Brown Girls is that there is... um it, it has a literary quality. It has a, a poetic quality. There's, it's clearly like an organic sort of expression um, of what you guys felt and, and the fabric of your lives. And uh, I don't know. Will you, will you talk just a little bit about that? About like kind of bringing in your influence that influences that maybe other shows weren't doing and aren't doing. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I was always really interested in a messy black woman. Um, like mm, a, or yes, you know, and this was before, or this was before, or right during the moments of like insecure and Atlanta coming out, and, uh, and it's so funny. I like I think about like there's all this content coming out with like two episodes, two shows, but it felt like we <laughs> like, were in conversation with that. I think there was this like pushback of like yes, I love Michelle Obama, and yes, I love like these black women that succeed, 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 and it, you know. But I also wanted to see a different, like a different example of what it looked right. like to be in your 20s and your 30s, and to not, and for that to be joyful, and for that to be complex, and for that to be, you know, everything that I felt like we just didn't have time to dive into with with black women, um, mm. and and also like the idea I wanted to show like how 
how mixed and complicated that community is. Like we shot in our DP's house and we like the, the party scene is done at like this, this, uh, this house that used to do poetry shows that they would do parties so that we could pay for their rent. Like it was very much a part of our community, every single thing and every place that we shot in. And I think you can feel that in Brown Girls. Like I'm very much, I've learned to be technical, but I'm very much a, like a gut check type of thing. And that's how mm. I direct it. I move the camera if I want to move the camera. Um, and uh, the learning kind of how, or being that free in, in that, it, that experience was really, was really great, especially because it was the first time I was doing it without being in front of the camera as well. Right. That's amazing. Um, and and I, I hate to, to inform you of this, but we do have to get on to your arrival in Hollywood. But <laughs> we will do so. <laughs> we will do so right after this short break. And we are back with Sam Bailey. I hope you got your mattresses. I hope we sold you some. I don't know what we just sold you, but you, I hope you bought some. And if you didn't, you're not really anti-racist. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't even think I get that money. The point is, is that we're back with Sam Bailey. And before we get into your journey into Hollywood, but also into my life, which is obviously the most important part of the interview, um, I wanted to give you a chance uh, for our segment at someone to shout out perhaps a lesser known creative or anybody out there doing their thing that you think we need to be paying attention to. Oh my gosh. So many people, um, you know what? I'm really, um, excited for, I want to say, I don't want to. Okay. So <laughs> I feel bad. Okay. So Auntie Chang is who I want to shout out. He's a cinematographer, a Taiwanese uh, cinematographer who I think is amazing. But Justin Chong a lot. And he's, um, yeah, he's just moving through the space in a really cool way. And I, the reason why I almost didn't say who he was is I was like, he made that movie. Uh, he shot the movie Gook. And I was like, oh, I don't want to say that. Oh, word, right. Yeah. That was the name of the movie, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, your mind goes really quickly. Like, you know, that, that would actually be a really funny troll thing for Black people to do is to like make a movie with a title that white people are not allowed to say. <laughs> I feel like anytime someone says anything about dear white people, a white person says anything about dear white people, I feel like they their voices like get a really a little like they drop a little bit when they say. It. And then you know, Justin, you're on that show, dear white people, and um, yeah. <laughs> it's a real litmus test I find of um, where you're at with race, how that title makes you feel. Because I think whenever someone hears that title, they imagine the scariest version of a black person saying it to them. And that mm -hmm. version of a black person is your racial blind spot, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and, exactly. and it's why when black, it's, it's like when, when black people hear the title, we laugh because like we think of our homies saying that to us because like, that's what we talk about. Uh, and exactly. some white people think that way too, but you know, some people like they tense up and they imagine this dear white people to be the beginning of like something very aggressive. Which is so funny because it's the nicest way of addressing them. How else would they like to be addressed? I've literally like had people come to me and be like, oh, you make that show fuck white people. And I'm like, first of all, no, I don't. And how the hell would I even get a show like that made? But that's what you heard. And that's really interesting about you. 
Oh my god, that show! I remember I like had this like Tinder hookup with this dude, um, fisherman. <laughs> um, and after I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this. If I'm like not into a hookup in the middle of it, I'm just like, I think I gotta go. And so he's like, Oh, but it. let me. He's like, Oh, you got, I, I got work tomorrow. And he's like, Oh, you know what show is it? What do you work on? I'm like, Oh, dear white people. And he was like, Is that a joke? And I was I was like, nope, surely not. <laughs> first of all, I'm mad that you didn't immediately come to the writer's room and give us that anecdote that day, first of all. <laughs> but it's your life and I get it. Um, <laughs> and second of all, that's amazing. That's a, You have to keep things to yourself. I love it. That was for you. <laughs> really quickly, I want to shout, I want to add someone too. Um, her name is Katia Jordan. And she was, I mentioned her earlier, but I didn't give her name. She was our, our writer's PA uh, this past season of Dear White People, and she's an amazing writer. And um, as you should be, if you're looking for a black woman to write, <laughs> you should find her because <laughs> she's brilliant. Um, so that's something I wanted to say. Now, I, I sort of I had heard of Brown Girls, and I think I might have even seen some of it. But I you came into my life through your short film, Masculine Masculine. Um, Hank wrote it. Hank wrote that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. Yeah, Hank, Hank, writer, you should know too. Hank, Hank, yeah, Hank Jones, who's just the shit. Um, was a showrunner's assistant on Dear White People, and he was writing the short, and he showed it to us in the room. And it's ten minutes of like the scenario where, like, basically, like black women have the same kind of stereotypical bravado that black men kind of have. It was just like, what if the world was reversed? It's like a 10 minute window into that. And God, it was just so, it's so brilliant. It really, it just knocked me all on my feet. And it was one of those things where like, I was, fi- it was my third year doing the show and I was finally in a place where I could say, it doesn't matter if they've done a TV show or not. I'm a director. I know when I've seen another director, this is a director and whoever this Sam Bailey is, we need her. <laughs> I remember that oh. feeling and and feeling like, you know, and, they, and, and to everyone's, no one put up a fight, I have to say. But, you know, in, in years past, it's been a struggle to get um, other directors on the show. Talk to me about that film. Talk to me about what it was like making it. Um, and if it's available for anyone to see, let us know where that is, too, because I think it's just so good. Oh, thank you. It is now, I believe, Masculine Masculine is on um, Film Independence Vimeo. Um, mm. So you can look it up there. Um, I That movie was, I did the Film Independent Program, met Hank. We knew very early on that we wanted to work with each other. We vibed really well. Um, but we also were like, this program feels a little, <laughs> feels a little <laughs> crazy. <laughs> like it, it wasn't it wasn't it was weird there's like so many great things about film independent and then there were so many things that felt stifling in the mm. process so again right. i i was kind of like fighting for actually for masculine masculine i think i was fighting for the space for hank and i to figure it out like i <laughs> i mm. remember like we already said we're gonna write it we got a cast just let us do this like you're gonna give us money anyway just trust <laughs> that something done <laughs> I was like fighting just to like not to, so that I didn't have to pitch or I don't know what it was. <laughs> I to and play and before you know Hank and I were talking about uh, like toxic masculinity and 
some of the things that we that I've heard men say and do and some of the things that he had heard men say and do. And it really was going to be a slice of life with these two men kind of just a day, you know, a day in their lives. And then I want to say maybe a couple of weeks before we were supposed to start shooting, I like hit up Hank and I was like, but what if they were women, though? Oh, love it. <laughs> and Fucking Hank, love it. He was already on it. And and then we just, I like flew out two actresses from Chicago that I knew. I was very like about making sure like what I could control, I, I like to control. Um, and we shot it again, like $7,500. Had a big create, uh, Auntie Chang shot that. Um, wow. I love that movie. And yeah, I'm just $7,500. Wow. I mean, you see that I saw that movie and I was like, I would be so lucky to have an episode of my show Aww. look, feel, move the way this is moving. And it, it's so subversive and sly, which is how I, I kind of I think of you a bit, because you're always one thing I've noticed, you know, having been able to work with you in the writer's room this past season is that when you talk, people really listen to you. And you often have things to say that challenge some notion that is popular or that people have but haven't really examined. Where does that come from? Is that just is it was that just always there? That that part of you that said, What if they're women though? Like who is she? <laughs> I don't I mean, there's I think I you know, I think I was empowered as an artist way too young. that really is what it was is that i very at a young age found these kind of systems and programs that really kind of empowered young people to think about the art that they were creating and so and that was my way of like surviving the bullshit that was going on at home so for me it's it's a it's almost like a survival skill it's a survival um and it's really, I'm learning as I grow older, like how many times do I need to lean on that and how many times I don't, like how much, you know, can it change and can it look differently in, in different um, opportunities so that I'm not just like, I realize that people do listen to what I say. So when I say, I have to be really careful about how I'm saying it mm. because I'm a black woman, one. <laughs> and two, <laughs> make sure what I'm saying is, is what I mean. Um, and I want to like play off people and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's kind of always been in me. And it's, you know, the thing that made me make the web series, make You're So Talented and just see what would happen if I reached out to press with it. And uh, mm. I made it. Like it was, there's, I've kind of always been in these spaces that, you know, I, I wasn't technically supposed to be in. And I love that. <laughs> like I, I love for you to tell me like I'm not supposed to be here. And I want to like show you why. Um, well, I remember I remember the first day on set for Dear White People, I show up and the camera's inside of a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had to step my game up. I so knew that you had like just as not only did you have a wealth of knowledge of uh, of, of like old movies that, that you were referencing, but you also had just such a specific voice on that show. And there was some in just the caliber of directors that had gone through that show. Like I knew that I felt like I had to like show up and show out. So I made well, Topher weekend. We had like plans on how to do that shot, shoot that 11 page mafia scene. Like I was ready. <laughs> we killed you with that. We were like, here you go. <laughs> and it was fun. Let- and it ended up being fun. It truly is like the only show I've ever had fun directing on out here. 
Okay, well, I was about to name all the other shows you worked on, but maybe I shouldn't. Um, uh, <laughs> in that I mean, case. <laughs> Shady. What other shows have I worked on? Like, I feel like there was Dear White People and there's nothing else, you know? Oh, come <laughs> on. You were, you were on Mixed-ish, Grown-ish, The Shy, First Wise Club, uh, Alone Together. You were out, you've been out here. You did, you did a video with Jamila Woods featuring Chance. Like, you've been out yeah. here. But I think there's a different, those shows are different. There is a, you know, you're trying to, there's a certain machine in like the ish life. And then, because I've done like a couple episodes for grown ish and stuff, and it's lovely and it's fun and the fashion is great and stuff like that. But there's still a certain type of, there's all these boundaries that we have to play within. And dear white people had boundaries, but. I just remember you being like, if you don't want to deal with these boundaries, just make sure you can back it up. And that's like the best challenge, I think, for a, yeah. you know, a filmmaker is like, OK, I actually love these boundaries, too. But if I if I'm going to push it, then there has to be a reason for it. That just makes you a better artist to figure out if you want to push it, if you need to push it or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely like it to be a deep pool, a, the deep end of a pool. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for real directors who who love that who love to be thrown into the deep end and you struck me as a person like that just from your work and boy I really saw it and everyone was just so impressed and so when it was time to figure out well who would we want to come in at a producer level in season four um you were genuinely like one of the first people that Jack who is is, is an EP with me on the show this season and I mentioned, and it was like, it was the easiest sell because everyone who had, who had experience with you really respected you and saw that you had a voice. And I don't know, just the thought of getting to write Coco with you in the room was like, oh my God, like I would be so freaking lucky. <laughs> How was that for you? Like as a director, as a visual person kind of, you know, coming into that, it, like to be on a staff, you know, uh, how was that experience for you? I had no idea what to really expect. I actually, when Jack reached out to me about the job, I was like, what? <laughs> like, I couldn't wrap my head around you, you guys asking me to be part of the room, not because I didn't want to, but because I was just like, I, I had had so much fun directing that the idea of being able to do that for a long amount of time with you guys and kind of settle into that world was really exciting. I almost couldn't like fathom it as a option. Um, for me, it was like a lot of watching and being quiet until I felt like I had to say some shit, you know, um, mm. watching you kind of work and watching you and Jack work and like just the, like the minds that were there, I felt like I could, I don't know, I could soak up a lot if I was a little bit more quiet. And then when I had something to say, I think it would have to be for a good reason. Um, it and always it was, was worth it. <laughs> the room always stopped when Sam had something to say. I remember that there were there were times in which your silence was louder than anything anyone was saying in the room. There were so many, many, many times when I would find myself like mid pitch or mid conversation, and I realized that you hadn't chimed in, and I and like I felt that sense of danger, like oh shit, like what does Sam think of this? Because I'm too far, and I hope she likes what I just said. <laughs> Oh, like, but like, you know, what's great is that I don't feel that engaged with everything all the time. So for me, yeah. it just felt like it was, I was very, I, like, I meant what I said. I wanted to be like of service with you in this last season. And, so, but it meant that like, I cared very heavily <laughs> a lot about your characters 
And, and for <laughs> like, I just thought, I just love the idea of like this girl being complex. Obviously, she's from Chicago. It's like, did you write her for me? I don't really know. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to, I don't know, I just really want to play in that messed up, unapologetic, insecure, but hella confident world mind that she mm. had. Um, yeah. She's so complex and I'm like, ugh, I just want, I just think she's so much, she's so much fun and so many black women love her because there is kind of like, she gets to act out our shadow, you know? Yeah, I feel that. Now, I, you said a, a little while ago, um, you know, that you you understand that when you speak, um, people listen in a different way and and you feel a pressure to say things in a way that communicates, it communicates it exactly how you mean it. But I also noticed there's a tension in you between that, um, sort of having to be a representative for a cluster of issues, and then just like really demanding space to be a human being. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, and once again, I think it comes from in my you know late teens and early 20s kind of surrounding myself with this group of artists that were like, yeah, you can be you in whatever way that is. That's not to say that like our lives weren't complicated in other ways, but there was this real safe place to grow and expand and get weird um, no matter what you look like. And that to me is so important because I think of like, I think a lot of like older black women who don't get to play, you know, they don't get to right. um, make mistakes. They don't get to, uh, I don't know, like go, you know, go to Italy and fuck dumb dudes or, or people and, and, and still be considered valuable. You know, there's, there's that article recently to talk about like inconvenient black women because mm. uh, they don't, if they're not perfect enough, then if they came out as victims or, you know, survival survivors really of, of bad behavior, we wouldn't get behind them because they're inconvenient. And I'm Ooh. like, I inconvenient black women heavy. Yes. <laughs> heavy. Like, yeah. I think those deserve to be told I am not the woman to give you um, a story that's talking about black excellence. Cause I've seen excellence in the hood. I've seen excellence like in so many different ways that, that in those stories, I don't think get told from black women and it can be mm. uplifting. Well, it sort of feels like fetish, fetishist. That's a girl Ooh, language. <laughs> um, I mean, I was just talking about this, the race picture, the Hollywood race picture, which has been popular, I don't know, since the 30s and 40s. This is when Hollywood sort of took away black independent cinema and started making their own black films, damn it. And then all of a sudden we had like perfect black people. Like we had Sidney Poitier and we mm -hmm. had, you know, Dorothy Dandridge, Lena Horne, um, sort of being these like pristine black noble figures um, being persecuted by very like cardboard evil white people and then white people would go see these movies and they'd cry or they you know they would process the tragedy of this noble negro and feel like they've done something or feel like they've engaged in the conversation but when someone like george floyd dies we're we're drudging up their drug history and we're drudging up their you know well technically he skirted this law and he did that and he did that almost as an excuse for his death um oh. I think these these narratives have kind of done us a bit of a disservice in that way. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but I think they've totally done us a disservice. I don't. Do you know um, Kathleen Collins' work? No. 
so she was like one of the first black women to direct a feature film like back in like I think it was like the 70s 80s she did um Losing Ground and wow. it's on uh, the Criterion Collection now, so if you haven't checked that, you should check it out. But they didn't. Oh, that's, really, my, that's my evening. <laughs> yeah, they didn't release it in the states because, at first, because they were like, "Oh, we don't know black people that exist like this." Wow! Um, wow! A young black couple who goes like upstate New York um, during the summer. She's a professor. Her husband's a hus- uh, an artist, and kind of like them working out relationship shit, pretty much. And being in their head, it's kind of it's kind of surreal. It's, it's very it's very much a relationship, you know, story. But the they like silenced her because they were like, oh, we don't like these people don't exist. When really, what I think they're saying is that like you've given them too much humanity, and we don't believe that black people have this. Wow. And, and whenever I hear this, and particularly on the Criterion Collection, which I, I'm always on, but whenever I find out that there's some brilliant black person that made a movie like in the early to mid 80s that I've never heard of, I am both like struck with awe and like pure so, rage. <laughs> so upset. So upset. Like I'm looking. I, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the frames from it. I'm looking at Kathleen Collins right now, just on my little Google. And I'm like, why was I not told about this? Oh, yeah. And the fact is, I found out who she was through a book that her daughter released after she passed away called Whatever Happened wow. to Interracial Love. And as I'm reading this, and she has like parts of her scripts in there, like, I'm like, wait, there was this like weird ass black female artist back then. And I don't know wow. who's in film. You know, and we didn't, and we didn't know. Um, how dare you? Because I didn't know. I didn't know. Really, like Ava DuVernay changed so much in social media that I realized that like black women were directing films. Like I didn't know um, right. that right. he's by by a black woman. I didn't know. I don't think I knew that Love and Basketball was directed by a black woman when I watched those mm. movies. So for me, it's a very new frontier that we. C- that even the four or five of us that are through that, you know, are here, but that there's actually a legacy of us being here and making film um, first and foremost. Wow. That's yeah, a beautiful place to take our last break. We'll be back with more from the lovely Sam Bailey and uh, our little don't at me challenge that we always do. We'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, Sam. Yes. So um, I'm going to ask you three questions. Okay. You can only say don't at me to one of them. So use it very carefully. Okay. Okay. You ready? Okay. Do I hear all three at the same time? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. First question. Who's the best? Who is the best Chicago rapper? Uh. <laughs> Do you hate me? Twisted, <laughs> right? I Wait, who? Twisted. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm down for that. <laughs> That's a safe answer too. <laughs> I love Twisted. Yeah, because who the fuck go argue with Twisted? Like, I mean, come on. Well, good job. You've done well. You have two more questions left. Um, what movie or show from the past? Five or ten years, we'll say. We'll give you we'll give you ten years because we're probably still working with some of these people now. But what 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 movie or show came out in the past ten years that would have been a lot better if you made it? 
Don't at me. Whoa! <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ooh, I think you, you sure? Because I got one more question left. I don't know. Well, okay. Well, we All right. Made it. Okay. I mean, I could say, okay. Um, what's the Hollywood show? That, what's his name? Is Ryan Murphy? Oh, oh, the one that's out right now? Yeah. <laughs> I could have made that better. Or at least the black one. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I love it. Um, okay, cool. So, last question: what uh, What's your least? What's what was your least favorite project to work on? I'm so sorry. That's so funny. It was my least favorite project to work on. Um, okay, I don't care because he don't like me. I don't like him either. I worked on a project with Chance about, um, <laughs> about the Alderman system for Chicago, and it just like. I think multiple times over, we didn't know what we were doing. Like we were very mm. like, miscommunicating um, over and over and over again. And I just felt like that was a project that got away from me. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Um, I didn't do, don't add me on anything. Look at that. You did real good, girl. And you know what you get for that? What? My admiration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you so much. <laughs> I love you too. Thank you so much for being with me today and and also um collaborating with me on this on these last two seasons of Dear White People. It has really been a pleasure. Now, before you leave, um we have one little section called Note to Self and uh I'd like to invite you to tell uh yourself one thing um that you needed to hear when you were starting out. It's totally okay not to know. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. Beautiful. It's totally not to know. We deserve to be, have to figure it out. I think black people, right? Like I feel like we're too used mm. to having to have all the answers and know how to do something perfectly in a system that wasn't really built for us. So I think that, like, yeah, giving yourself Woo! a little it's real. Take <laughs> us to church. I, I love, love you. It. It's Sunday on a Wednesday. Thank you so much, Sam. I love you. Thank you for doing this. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you love the show, please leave us a rating, leave us a review. And yes, at me, your host, at Justin underscore Simeon on Instagram. Also follow Culture Machine at Culture Machine Co. on Instagram. Credit goes to Jason Smith, CEO of Starburns Audio. Jessica Gutierrez, our audio engineer. Judith Cargbo, our production coordinator. Chris Bauer has the theme song. Dominic German did incidental music. You should check him out. Aaliyah Jihad and Brendan Smith produced for Culture Machine. Till next time, y'all. Starbanks Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.